Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Mark introduces you to some of the world's leading creative talent from publishing, film, music, restaurants, medical research, and more. You'll discover how to tap into your most original thinking, how to organize your ideas, and most of all, how to make the connections and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity. Hi, everyone. It's Mark Stenson. Our podcast is supported by Design Hill. Design Hill is the world's number one creative marketplace that caters to the creative needs of businesses and individuals alike. You can source high quality designs from professional designers and unique products created by independent artists. Listen later in the episode for a special offer and a discount code. Our global travels, virtually in a way, take us to LA today. We've stamped our creative passport at LAX. We're driving up to Hollywood and we're talking to filmmaker Justin Connor. Justin, so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. And Justin is, as I mentioned, a filmmaker. He stars, he directed, he produced a great film that's out on Amazon Prime now called The Golden Age. The subtitle is The Life and Times of Maya O'Malley. So Justin, tell us a little bit about Maya O'Malley, the creative uh, inspiration behind this documentary. Sure. Um, I started out as an actor and then started veering towards music, released an album. And on the second album, I was trying to figure out how to adjoin writing and directing a film that entwined, intertwined music. And, but I didn't want to do any lip syncing. So I, was, I wanted like the songs to help tell the story in like an organic way. But it was also, I was also watching a lot of documentaries at the time and I wanted to kind of play with the idea of what's real and what's fake. And so I created, as I started singing some of the songs, it was like this, for those that watched the film, like there's like a kind of screaming or a shouting or needing to get released, you know, some of his old tape in his life. So I started to, you know, loosely dub this character Maya <laughs> for some reason. And, and that's how it started and came about. And um Basically, I wanted to just like have a little bit of a more substantive dialogue on, you know, the permutations of fame and pop culture and, you know, substantive songwriting similar to like, you know, the Dylans and the Roger Waters and, and the Beatles and the Harrisons and Lennons. Like I was really inspired by that movement of music. So I wanted to kind of offset some of what's being sung these days to tell a story that's partially autobiographical about my own past and tell it through song as a way to heal. The only kind of fame Maya was ever interested in was in denouncing fame itself. Breaking news, Maya O'Malley. He was so adept at using the media to create this mystical persona that we just weren't sure if, if it was for real or if it was just part of his whole act. It was hard to say. Who gives a damn about all the fame? Everyone that knew him loved him. He's a wonderful guy. Manning depressive, manipulative, wildly talented, idiot savant. I went from being put off by him to being kind of intrigued by what he was doing. Maya O'Malley, the unspoken voice of a lost generation. He could have been something great. He just kind of fell off the map. I could tell he was going through something. He had a hard time letting people in. I think he wanted to be vehemently loathed. It seemed like he started to crack up. He really became obsessed with guns. It's hard to see somebody as talented as Maya deal with all that pain from his past. 
He's probably one of the most talented people you've never heard of. And in some strange way, I think that's exactly how he wanted it. Looking back at it all now, it's just sad. What went wrong? I wish I knew. It is quite a commentary, I guess. You talked about the musicians themselves, but also the music industry, the fame that goes along with that, the pressures, the, you know, you have to be somebody, maybe you aren't. All these things are expressed in the movie. Yeah, they are. And it's funny because, you know, as a musician, actor and all these things, it's like there's this inclination of wanting to become something and this fame and glory and such. And then you look at the people who have attained that in material life or in the West or globally, and they go through their own madness of sorts. And I think I'm more drawn to not only trusting my own path, but following some of those artists that have a, a higher lens to just creating really substantive work throughout their lives and playing sort of the long game with fame. So, I mean, part of the film is not only satirizing the madness that happens through all these musicians that go on tour and their drugs and their former lives and trying to put the pieces back together, you know, the thinking man in me was like, this is insane. Like, this is what I'm gearing towards doing for the rest of my life. So I kind of started just owning that I might be a different artist in that light in the sense of just making compelling albums or compelling pieces of creative expulsion or creative works that, you know, talked about more substantive themes that might not potentially tap into the zeitgeist at this very moment, but I think eventually we'll catch up to show that I was thinking a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be in a place like Hollywood or LA where everyone's so, you know, social media and all that, where everyone's so entrenched with wanting to become something. And I'm kind of almost moving in the opposite direction where I want to just really pound for pound, you know, serve the work and serve the themes that, you know, are more integrative to how we're all shifting. And on some level, you know, the film, in my opinion, is like a comedy, but no one really gets it. <laughs> but it's a it's really a comedy. It's a satire about material life. It's a satire about documentaries of artists. It's a, it's a satire on how so many artists are broken and they think that this elusive fame will put the pieces back together when we all learn throughout their trajectory that it, it, it destroys them. It may even be a satire about religion on some level, although I tried to approach it all with like a sincere context and light, you know, because mm -hmm. I went through my own wounds as a child with my parents and especially my dad who was an alcoholic and that was tough. And it was like, you know, there was an element where I had to take a long look at it. So I wasn't trying to make fun of anything but by any means, but we're living in a day and age where it's so hard to ascertain what's real and what's fake. And shooting a film with a narrative structure in the form of a documentary is very challenging because you're trying to, on one hand, play a little trick by satirizing, hence why I say it's a comedy, but you also have to own it and be very present and real with the angles and how we're trying to decipher you walking along the story as if it's real because on some level you know some people think it's like a faux documentary is this real is this fake and that was kind of like the satire of the whole thing and you know it's really hard to even know what's real and what's fake in these day and age and and even having finished the film and had some context or had some space between its release and me processing it in the aftermath i don't even know the difference because so much of it is reflective of my own life and Yes, it was all scripted and narrative of sorts, but it, I think there's, a, there's room for space between a pound for pound narrative film and a documentary. And there's like a little bit of leeway in between that. And I think that's where I like to explore in terms of trying to be a bridge between, mm -hmm. you know, this confusion we all have with 
being entertained, <laughs> where it's like we're entertaining ourselves to death with stuff that we know isn't real. And the stuff that is real, we can only take in small doses because it's so real. And I thought, well, maybe there's a way to narratively combine the two without being disrespectful. Yes, it's so interesting, Justin, that you're talking about this, because now all of a sudden it raises the question of the veracity, I suppose, of almost any documentary that you're watching. You think this is a news program, and yet the power of the storyteller to weave this documentary almost in any direction they want. Uh, totally. It's like, even if you're watching a pound from pound documentary that's quote unquote real, you're still making educated or creative decisions on the cuts of how it portrays to elicit a certain feeling from an audience. So you know, I can't remember who said it now, but I love this quote. It's like, you know, art is the truth exaggerated, you know, an exaggeration <laughs> of the truth. And it's like, even when you're telling something that's absolutely pound for pound, what we know to be true, and we're trying to get to the bottom of what it is, there's still an angle, there's still manipulation with it. So there are a lot of elements within the film where I tried to hold on the character or characters in different parts to make it like, we're not trying, I'm not trying to subvert the direction at which I want to lead you down. I want you, this just to be, you can take from it and reflectively on, on whatever, whatever you want. want. Yeah. And, and the clash here, and again, I, I'm curious about the purposefulness of these techniques, but you, you were mentioning mindfulness and there's a consciousness kind of thread throughout this. The music is very, I don't know, it's, it's soft rock. It's, it's got a 70s George Harrison inspiration for sure. And yet some of the imagery, very loud. And, and the, obviously the angst of the character and the, you know, the anger and so forth. An interesting dichotomy, I guess, as I'm asking, how you were able to meld those two feelings. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Harrison because his guru from the East, uh, Srila Prabhupada, who started the Hare Krishna movement and here in the West in the late 60s, I got turned on to him through a friend of mine and, and that was sort of the impetus for a lot of my life, a lot of the songs on the album as well as the next album I do. And there's been that like like devotional bedrock at which I've kind of learned to hang my hat. So there's an element of not only wanting the songs to help tell the story, but you know, my only critique, I guess, of what's happening musically these days is it's a lot of like trying to woo some girl or talking about materialism and et cetera. And there's a place for that and kids love it. And I don't want to poo-poo that or, or take anything away from that, but devotional themes about the chaos of us, our material life and trying to make room for the devotional path, not only as a way to help guide our trajectory, but to heal some of the wounds that we're all kind of walking around with. So I think a lot of this was part and parcel of reflecting my own wounds and using the devotional path as a tool to, to heal it in the way that, you know, therapy helps or different doshas or people do meditation or yoga. And I do them all and, and it's great, but I think there's the, the one healing salve that continues to provide the most healing is um, the devotional path. And I think I wanted to offer those who have been through the same, whether it was any kind of physical, emotional, sexual abuse, or being raised by a narcissistic parent or an abusive parent or an alcoholic parent, like I'm right there with you and I'm falling apart at the seams and I'm going to tell you my story as viscerally and as nakedly as I can because I needed to heal my own stuff, but I also wanted to reflectively 
give others permission to heal theirs. And do you feel like the process of making a film like this, along with the music, along with the collaboration of your team, was this a healing exercise for you? Do you feel like you made inside progress? Sure, sure. I think what happens when you're the survivor of abuses like this or like these, there's, a, there's an inordinate amount of shame that you end up struggling with. Those wounds no, don't ever necessarily go away per se, but you learn to like sort of bridge a different connection with them. So I was most concerned, or not most concerned, but I think the impetus was to have a better relationship with them and to really challenge myself to, sometimes I think the stories that we've held going through dysfunctional households, there's an imprint that we have that we unfairly were meant to imbue by proxy of just being a child in a chaotic situation. But for me, I, and I'm not one of these people that wants to like, Hey, I'll tell you my whole story and put all my cards on the table, but I felt like it was mandatory for me to heal. So it has in a, in a lot of capacities. I'm actually finishing a book that accompanies the film right now that goes even deeper because you can only tell so much in a film, but this whole journey, it's almost like been my PhD of, of my former life and hopefully can help serve as a doctorate to others that are trying to heal from their own. But I had to announce it all and confront it. And if I hadn't, I felt like I would have been constantly harangued by these wounds, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of had to just, ex, you know, like just have a full expulsion with them, even though it was wildly uncomfortable for me to. And even still knowing that I was so viscerally honest about my pains and my wounds, because it's embarrassing that shame comes up a lot, but I had to do it in order to move on. So I'm, it has healed a lot, but it's still like a learning process because this whole film took so long, like almost a decade. So it's like, I was really wrapped up in this. And now that I'm coming to the end phase of its release and then working on the book to release that, you then have to like, care for yourself outside of this creative expulsion and really deal with the fact that, oh, you're starting your life over having released this. And who are you now without that as a thing that's been so like a, a crutch of sorts. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been a challenging year or so, especially in relation to COVID, but, but I'm so grateful to it. And I, you know, the biggest caveat I think is seeing so many people that have watched it and hit me up and saying, oh my God, I had the same father or my dad left me when I was four and I haven't been able to stay in relationships my whole life. And it was like, it was really sweet how people were able to heal from their own story by reflectively watching mine, but not letting their story or mine get in the way. Yeah. 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 Well, you're also describing this sort of multi-hyphenate role of a creator. You're making a film, you're acting in the film, you've made the music, you're talking about now a book that's going to accompany this. There's a lot of canvas to fill, yeah. to tell that story. And are, are you using those mediums differently? I mean, yeah. the, the acting is different than the writing or the writing is different than the writing for film versus writing for book. How is all that working for you to kind of keep it straight, but also keep the story continuity throughout? Oh, wow. That's a good question. It's like, it's, they're all wildly different, yet all equally almost the same, if that makes sense. But with the film... It, In the context like, of this discussion, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. It's like upside down, though. But, you know, with the film, it was like, you have to, I had to write it. And even like this scene in the kitchen where I'm talking about my father, which was kind of a painful scene where I, some people who watched it were like, you need to cut this. It's long. I'm like, no, I don't want to do any cuts. Cause if I cut it, it looks like I'm filtering to try to get someone to get the parts of the story that I want. I'm like, no, I'm just going to let it be. So there are elements like that. And I mapped that whole scene out as well as the whole film, even though there was maybe about five or 10% 
improv and throughout. So I had to know not only where I was singing the songs, as an actor, you know, you have to know where you were coming and where you're headed, but it was hard with the songs to be like, okay, this is where I'm confronting this thing, but I just came from that. I know I'm heading here in the film. So there was like this performance in terms of directing myself and knowing where I was going with that. But the, and with like editing a film, you have a cut and you're like, oh, I like this. But the more you take time, this is the irony of the film business or I think creative projects in general is the more time you take away from that canvas that you started to throw paint against. Once you think you have it locked and done, the more time you take away from it, you can come back to and be like, oh, we don't need that, we don't need that. And that's the irony of being in Hollywood where every they're like selling trailers before they even looked at the source footage to cut the film. And that's why so many films are full of crap because they're doing them so fast and that's fine, but it's like, there's something to be. So even though people are like, oh my God, you're insane doing this for this many years, you know? And I'm like, well, the more time you take away from them, the more you're able to gain real clarity on what it is that needs to be said. So on that same flip argument, what I was talking about, how they're completely different, but the same, the book has been wildly challenging in many respects, the hardest one of all three in terms of the album, film, and now book. Because the more time you come away from it, the more you realize, oh, I'm repeating that thing, or I really need to just say that. So it's this constant re-editing process of which I'm finishing right now, and I've been working on it for a few years. But it, yet, it's the same thing, because with the film, it's like you're continually like taking out some frames or realizing this is maybe a little long, or maybe we can like really punch in that section and let it like sit with them. But you can only tell so much in 100 minutes of a film, but with a book, you can get much more viscerally honest and more detailed. So I would say on some level, the book, maybe it's just because it's the last of the three and it's been such a long journey, but it's been very challenging because there's so much more you can say and it needs to be very concise and specific. And sometimes in writing a book, you use the same words over and again. So it's like trying to reframe it all, but I'm most, I don't know, I love them all, but it's like the book has been very challenging because when you step away, you see what you didn't, you couldn't see two months ago, whether you were staring in front of your computer, like trying to figure it out. So I think what I take from this whole project and what I'm learning to now do for the next album or the next film or whatever comes next is like time is your ally. And the irony of this day and age is it's like everybody wants to get stuff out there and move it. And it's like, that's why so much media is crap these days because it's moving so quickly that we're not giving it time to gestate to find that like perfect balance between mm -hmm. what you've captured and what it is you want the audience to see. It's I'm a, I'm a non-manipulative type of way. You know? Oh, sure. But you're describing an editing process as much as a creating process mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, it's like the old sculptor analogy that, you know, Michelangelo is just removing all the unwanted stone exactly. around David to make a, a beautiful statue. But you're describing, you know, do I really need all these words or do I need this scene or do I need, you know, this? And I think time is like your best ally as, as an artist on some level. And it's funny how everyone's so quickly trying to just get it all out there and you know I had to take time with the project because I, I wanted to look like a I was aging throughout it versus like having some makeup artists like make make me up like they do in Hollywood and it's like you never buy it it looks like crap it's like whatever <laughs> but you know it's like rare to pull that off that I wanted to have like a natural progression in that context but just taking space away from what you've thrown against the wall you can see it better the more you take breaks from it and come back to it. So I think that's been like a nice metaphor 
for my life and then equally wanting to find more of a balance in my life so that these creative projects are reflective of that balance than trying to rush, rush, rush it all out. That's like I say, like playing the long game with fame. Like I, people are like, you know, you should go on tour. This would be, and I'm like, I might, but it's like, I also just love the studio and the process of it so much and seeing how many people like are just going crazy touring 200 or 300 days a year. Although that's something that I could do and I might do, but it's like, I just enjoy, you know, I think, I think one of the aspects of why it was a documentary and why I like that mode of telling a story is there's a certain beingness. And I always think of myself first and foremost as an actor, but there's so much of an artifice with acting or it can le lean that way. And some of the biggest stars in the world, you watch them on screen, like, oh, they're acting their pants off. That there's, a, there's an element of like beingness that I'm more drawn to than anything. And beingness isn't something that's dependent on time except for the moment itself. So I think that's what I'm exploring more now in my life. And hopefully I, can gravitate or, or, or imbue that into my creative process. Uh, wonderful. We'll be right back with our interview here on Unlocking Your World of Creativity. But first, a reminder of the discount that I promised you at the beginning of the show from Design Hill. You can get an exclusive 25% off of Design Hill's Logo Maker service. Just use the code WF25. The link is in the show notes. And remember, the offer is valid through November 30th, 2021. And now back to our interview. Well, listeners, my guest is Justin Connor. He's the writer, director, actor in the golden age, the life and times of Maya O'Malley. So Justin, let's turn the page a little bit to some of the, I guess, business logistics, the messiness of actually putting this creativity oh out into the world. I think I repressed that. From <laughs> you know, I was going to say, I, I think I just said the words writer, actor you know i didn't say I know. manager finance director <laughs> i know i i don't know how i did it i'm you know what's funny is the the one thing that i never because i'm not like really into fashion per se although i respect it as a creative expression but like the best the job that i unawarely enjoyed the most was like wardrobe and buying yeah. wardrobe for different members <laughs> of the of the band or whatever i'm like oh, yes. this is kind of fun well it's good um, stuff i i did like the wardrobe good selections <laughs> You know, I think why I wore so many hats, first of all, making a film is expensive. I feel like, the, and I am a little bit, I'll, I'll admit it, like a control freak or have like a, a lot of my hand, I have my hand in a lot of different pots always. That's just been who I am. And I think why I wore so many hats on it, not only because I wanted to like always have, take my stab at writing, directing and producing and acting. Cause I, I'm just fascinated by it all. It's just more fun. You know, it's like, sometimes it's boring. If you're just an actor on set and you're in your trailer and then you go out and you say your lines, Oh, they're going to light it. And then you're sitting there for four hours. I'm like, this is stupid. I'd wish I could like, so I usually would like go out on the crew and watch like what was happening what people were doing. That's kind of was my on set training for preparing me to do my own film. But I think this, and I'm being honest with this and whether it was like a big TV show I was on or, you know, I had, I had a, guest starring or spot on or it was a commercial or it was an independent film there were times where i would watch a scene that was pivotal for the storyline that had to be sold for the storyline to work and there were times many times where i could see that we moved on from a scene that wasn't ready to be moved on to and because that wasn't this episode or this film or whatever was going to turn to crap and so i think like i protectively made sure that to the best of my ability, at least I had more control in that department to preclude that from happening. 
Mm-hmm. So it was less about like, hey, I want to do all this stuff on my film. It was more like I did it as a hedge to prevent what I had seen happen so many times. And and no fault to those people that that does happen to. Because it's like, you've got the location for a day. You've got everybody working. We got to get it. The light's going down, whatever. So it's, it's, it's such an inexact science making a film. But like, I literally, in terms of, you know, as I say, oh my God, I, I want to repress the, my memory and my answer <laughs> to your question. Because I worked on this literally. And I think that's why I've been sleeping a lot the last few months is I worked on this like for like six days a week, eight to 10 hours a day for like years, like maybe a decade. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just kind of dropped recently. So it was like, preparing the scene and the rehearsal with the actor and then the wardrobe and the gear and the food at the set and this and that and I'm acting in it and then the songs and I'm where am I coming from and the cameras and the lights it was just like oh my god so it's it's an it's amazing that anybody finishes a film that's not terribly bad let alone competently good so I I champion everyone who takes on big creative endeavors like this and I think that's kind of what I enjoy the most is taking on these big instead of having a career of like 20 films you acted in or directed in, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool to do like two or three that you like stand behind like mm-hmm. big, big time. So more than anything, the reason I wore so many hats is I was, I was fearful of my own film suffering the same fate at which so many others had that I was an actor on, if that makes yes. sense. And yes, I, I it just, does. I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself letting that happen. So I refused to. Well, I think yeah, central to the story of this film, but also that you're describing this process. I did have a guest a couple of episodes back on the podcast who was talking about the business, like this is a business. Mm. And, and so the conflict sometimes of art and commerce here, that ultimately the studio is making a film and they want to make money and they want to spend the money wisely. And like you said, we have the set for a day and that's what we have. Mm-hmm. So, but but you're saying that to manage all of those you know, lots of gears turning, lots of plates spinning, but ultimately you have to have the creative product is what you're describing. For sure. And you have to protect almost like a general on the battle lines, because if somebody's not, you know, protecting their flank or position, like it's going to get invaded. So it was more like a protective hedge to make sure that we didn't get invaded. A and B, when you talk about the business of it, the commerce of it, the the, the challenging part of make of art these days, if you're a musician, everything's streaming and you know, for those famous few who are making money from streaming, God bless them, but most people aren't making a lot from these streaming sales. So the hence they need to go out on tour and, and the same thing sort of happened to the film business. And that's why I'm a little distressed about what's gonna to happen to the independent film movement because everything now is streaming or it goes to Netflix and they buy you out or it goes to Amazon, your streaming pay. So there's not really a lot of money in this le- anymore unless you're like being funded by a Netflix or something. And that's okay. I've come to terms with that, but this business is is sort of like upending itself in terms of like the heyday of what it once was. But what always keeps me championing forward is seeing far beyond, you know, I feel like far beyond money, firstly, but I feel like the artists that I look up to and admire are looking at their products in a currency that supersedes and moves beyond money itself because most people aren't making bread at this unless they're like big acts that are going on tour and god bless them but that has its own mania as well that i just want to keep following the lead of and serving and honoring and homaging 
all those directors and musicians that to this day, I still think about like on my daily walks at night or something like, wow, that film really hit me and, and have that same effect for someone else to inspire them to create something the same way I was inspired to create this from them. You know, I mean, that's kind of like the currency or the synergy that I'm attuned to the most. And, and I, I'll just keep pounding that soapbox in that pavement until until I die, you know. I love it. I love it. Well, Justin, I can't thank you enough for the time. And folks, uh, it's justinconnor.com. The film is The Golden Age, The Life and Times of Maya O'Malley. I can't help but ask, Justin, what if I had Maya on this podcast? (laughs) What, uh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) What creative, I guess, insight, advice would Maya O'Malley provide to the listeners about the creative process? and those life and times. Well, in terms of like their own creative endeavors that they're mm-hmm. looking to take on. Yeah, I yeah. think it's just, mar- you know, the big mantra I always have, and this was certainly proof positive with that, is just marching to the beat of your own drum. There's a lot of expectations and inclinations of what's working with other artists or musicians or actors or filmmakers or whatever it is, painters. And I think just trusting what like makes sense to you and that be enough. and. That may mean that you have a life that's different than what you thought of by marching to the beat of your own drum. But I think when you're sitting back in a rocking chair down the road, it's like that will that will be more of a, a pleasant rock of sorts instead of, you know, trying to follow what the masses are doing. And um, yeah, I think that's the main thing is like there's no there's no real there's no real goal to attain with this whole creative game. And I think we all get trapped in this idea of if I do this or play these right stepping stones, et cetera. But I, I don't know, for me, it's just, I know what I want to do. I trust that it will find the eyes and ears as how it's meant to. And I think those that veer away from that and then try to do something more traditional in relation to what the masses are doing, that has its own breed of madness too, you know? So my, my encouragement to other people out there is like, you know, make a steady, whether it's quantity, a, a large quantity or not, like tell the story you want to tell. This is what I wanted to say, that the, the filmmakers that I'd read about that I loved so much, what I would read about when I'd go into final cut stage or you know about to release their film. And I remember them saying this, I'm like, oh my God, that sounds kind of selfish. But there would be like, all you really have at the end of the day is your barometer of what you think is great. That's it. And there were times where people were like, oh, you need to cut that kitchen scene. So I'm like, no, I'm trusting myself. And I think that's what this project did for me and will we'll do for other people to take on, you know, what they're supposed to do, like really ingrained in themselves supposed to do as an artist is, is all you really have is your own barometer and your taste at the end of the day. And if it, and if it matches that kind of bullshit of like, whether you think- Thanks again to our sponsor, really Design style. Hill the world's number one creative marketplace for business and individuals where you can access high quality designs from professional designers and unique products created by independent artists. You can get 25% off of Design Hill's logo maker service. Just use the discount code WF25. The link is in the show notes. And remember the offer is valid through November 30th, 2021. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, unlocking your world of creativity, and thepeaceroom.love.